That's how we kick off our Wednesday afternoons around here with Pet Chat. First of all, uh, Daniel Carrington, welcome back. Daniel, I haven't seen you in what it seems like 100 years, sir. Something like that. Thank you very much. Lovely to be doing the show with you. He can take your mask off now. <laughs> oh, no, he's not wearing one. Sorry. Someone that someone that uh, was wearing one on his way in, Dr. Mm-hmm. David, thank you for coming in too. That's all right. Safety. Safety. What have you guys got planned for the big show today? Okay, so today we're going to talk to Dr. Linda Tabley, who's a holistic vet, and we're going to talk about herbal medicine, when you could possibly use herbal medicine on your dog or cat. We're all into a good, healthy well-being, good nutrition these days, and looking at alternative medicines as well, and the same applies for our pets. So um, I'm talking to Dr. Linda Tabley, who is a normal vet, she's she's practiced as a vet, but she's also a holistic vet, and she looks at other types of medicines that might be helping our pet that are herbal-related, and that's what we're going to talk about today, one of my favorite subjects, herbal medicine. Thank you for coming on to the show, Linda. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. What, um, what I'd like to ask first is, like, what is herbal medicine? Yeah, well, veterinary herbal medicine is using whole plants or whole plant extracts to help an animal's body to heal because uh, herbs contain a multitude of amazing chemicals that work together to give powerful healing effects and scientists quite often try to isolate a single active chemical that makes a herb effective but um, herbalists consider that the whole plant is the active ingredient and all the plant chemicals are working in synergy to give a greater healing effect than any one chemical alone. Mm, well, that yeah. makes sense, and it goes down that natural route of healing. But does yes. that mean all herbal medicines are safe? Uh, no, look, you've got to look at herbs as potent medicines, and some of them actually can be dangerous if not used appropriately. Mm. You know, there's some herbs that are classified so only medical doctors can use them. And for instance, there's a herb called comfrey, which is quite often included in herbal products to be taken by mouth. And it's a wonderful herb to use topically, so on the surface for wounds or inflamed skin or even to help fractures heal. But it has chemicals in it that are toxic to the liver and it's not recommended that it's taken internally. And also other herbs may be contaminated with microorganisms, chemicals, heavy metals, So it's really important to find um, a herbal manufacturer that's committed to producing safe and really effective herbal medicine. So that's an interesting point you raise because I feel like just because it's derived from plants, just because it's natural, it doesn't mean that it's going to be safe. Yeah, so that's absolutely. A good point to <laughs> make. True. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to know what you're doing. So how do you know which products are safe and effective? Okay. Well, look, many of the best herbal products are only available from, um, you know, health professionals, so naturopaths or a vet that was is into natural medicine. So I would suggest contacting a vet who practices natural medicine for advice. Um There's, for instance, you know, medicinal mushrooms. You've got to be careful who you buy from because mushrooms tend to accumulate heavy metals, which are pretty nasty if they're grown in contaminated soil. And some traditional Chinese medicines have been found to be contaminated again with heavy metals or toxins or even some pharmaceutical drugs. So it's really important to try to buy from a reputable company that's um, that has some experienced holistic vets if it's for your animal, mm. uh, 
that are formulating the products and, and do your homework, you know, check out who that vet is and the product. I mean, online we've got so much information available so you can check out and make sure that it's a good, safe and effective product. So um, I guess just a very simple and basic um, herbal medicine that we could use. What's uh, just a couple of, I guess, simple ideas, some herbs that uh, people can try on their animals at home and would be safe to use and get and see oh, some results. Oh, yeah. Look, there's some wonderful things that you can experiment with at home. Um, turmeric is probably one of my favourite herbs. Um, it isn't absorbed really, really well from the stomach and intestines, but by adding oil, coconut oil is my favourite, mm-hmm. that helps it to be absorbed better. Turmeric is anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, antioxidant, and it's been shown in studies to be really useful in treating arthritis, um, stomach and intestinal inflammation, in liver disease, and even in various cancers. And um, turmeric and coconut oil together can also be used on the surface of wounds to help them heal. And even some cancers have been shown to shrink when you know you apply those. I mean. You know, you wouldn't try that on something very serious, obviously, but, you know, if there's little warts or little open wounds on your dog, you can certainly use it. Um, Turmeric doesn't taste great on its own, so it's best to introduce it slowly to the diet. For a small dog, about a quarter of a teaspoon twice daily in their food, but you work up to that. And for a large dog, one teaspoon twice daily and mix it with some oil to improve the absorption. But if you have a cat or a dog that's fussy, then there's also some great tablets that have been formulated with oils and things in there so that they can be absorbed well. And your natural health practitioner, again, can advise you about which product might be best. And when you're using a natural or herbal medicine, um, does it take longer for the healing process or can you see results relatively quickly? Yeah. Look, it does the herb. I mean, there's some things like uh, pain release herbs that might work very quickly, but most herbs, they do take time because they really strengthen the body from inside. Mm. Um, I mean, pharmaceutical drugs are wonderful, but um, a lot of the time they seem to be a little bit of a band-aid, like they might treat the symptom um, and not always do they treat the cause, whereas the herbs are trying to come from a deeper place and really heal the body from the inside out, I guess. Yeah, and that's what I find amazing about them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. And I, I just, I'm very passionate about um, treating animals with herbs because, I, you know, they just work well and they're just so beautiful and the animals seem to accept them quite well in general. <laughs> Look, thank yeah. you very much for your time and, uh, yeah. you know, we'll get you back on the show to talk more about this kind of a topic again uh, later uh-huh. on in the year. But, yeah, wonderful to hear that information and something to think about in terms of herbal medicine for our yeah. pets. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to share what I'm passionate about. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Dave Reed, a warm-up on uh, this one. Good afternoon, Philippa from Blackalls Park. What's going on with your cat's eye? Good afternoon. Uh, Well, look, she's had... She's 16, by the way, just to begin. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's had this, which looks like a very sore eye, for some weeks. Um, Initially, I managed to get hold of some Clorsig. And um, when I managed to get some of it in her eye, it seemed to improve. Um, but it's very difficult to get anything into her eye. So eventually, mm. 
And some days it's wide open, some days it's half closed. Sometimes there's a little bit of oozing. And um, she doesn't appear to be worrying at it like cats can do. You know, they go at it and at it and at it with their paws. Uh, so anyhow, a couple of weeks ago, I took her to the vet and he seemed to think it was because of her age, the lower lid was drooping inwards. Right. And yep. that an, op- an operation would be the only thing that would fix it. And because of her age, I said, well, you know, we won't go down that path. So he gave me some... Um, Chlorosone, yep. um, and he said that that may that may help or it may make may make it worse. So I thought, oh God, I won't mm. make, use it. So in the meantime, in the last couple of weeks, as I say, the eye, some days it's wide open, other days it's half closed. She's eating well, drinking, doing all the things that cats do. So I don't know. So you haven't used the chlorazone since you no. visited it? Okay. No. Well, as soon as he said it might make it worse, I thought, oh, okay. So, um, the, yeah, the reason, the reason we give that advice is that chlorazone um, contains chloramphenicol, but it also contains a cortisone. And yes. So it's a little bit different to the chlorsig that you had yes. originally. But yes. the uh, corticosteroid in the ointment is actually very good at reducing inflammation. However, mm-hmm. if there's damage to the surface of the eye, to the cornea, then mm-hmm. uh, that's when we're concerned and it can actually inhibit healing. So right. generally with eyes, I think you always need to move quicker than later because if there's any scarring in the eye, it reduces vision mm. um, because the, the body doesn't care. It'll just put cells into there that'll, you know, fibroblasts and all these different type of cells that come in and try and heal things up. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't care that the eye is supposed to be transparent, the cornea. It actually just wants to heal the problem. And right. so that healing tissue is often opaque and, you know, it will end up with uh, pigmentation on the eye. So right. that's where drugs like the corticosteroids are useful in reducing inflammation, but they certainly do need to be carefully monitored uh, in relation to making sure that we don't have any surface uh, injury, corneal injury. So mm-hmm. the the problem that you've described is um, we sometimes see it in older animals. It's much more common in younger animals, you know, yep. like less than a year old. And oftentimes we see it in puppies and kittens uh, due to body conformation. So their face is a different shape. And they, uh, some breeds are known to have problems with their eyelids. Uh, and certainly those animals would do best with surgery over time because otherwise it's going to be a lifelong problem. But you're at the other end. Yes. And, and so taking a conservative or a medical approach is probably reasonable. But I would be encouraging you to probably revisit the vet to make sure that the surface of the eye is okay before you start using the chlorazone and then use it and then have a revisit maybe two or three days later. Um, The reason is that in that time frame, you'll be able to pick up like it won't, it might, you might see some problem there, but it's not going to cause a great deal of damage. If you just went went away and used it, 
without a follow-up, then I think I would be worried. Um, uh, I was I was concerned when he said it might, might make it worse. But also, she, she's very difficult. It's very difficult to get anything near her eye. Yeah, yeah. That's, very that's, difficult. That's the other problem that we often see with cats is they're very yes. reluctant to let us treat them. And there yep. are there, there's, there's a few little tricks of the trade that they could, the vets and the nurses might be able to help you out with there to uh, get this medication in. But I certainly would say... Have another checkup before you start, given that it's been a you know a week or two, and uh, then and then always go back for another checkup uh, about two or three days later. Any time I see an animal with an eye problem, I, uh, I want to see them every two or three days. Oh, okay. Um, until right. it's fixed, because things happen so quickly. Right. So, okay. And you know, look, if you do that, you might have this all under control within a week. Yes, and it's not um, life threatening or anything like that, is it? Or she doesn't appear to be uncomfortable. That's the thing, too. I don't, or maybe she's more stoic than I thought. Yeah, there are a couple of other things that can cause the problems that you're talking about. I thought about bad that teeth be... as well. Yeah, I thought maybe something in the teeth, something in the mouth, or you know. But yeah, things. Everything starts to break down when you're getting to that age. So, um, but it's worth to certainly go back and see a vet. I wouldn't start using the ointment without getting another check up there and a good afternoon good afternoon russell from morpeth uh, your cat is very very loud at mealtime i believe yeah um when he has like a full meal like an 85 gram tin mm. or a lot of dry food which you don't normally do it normally just grazes on the dry food but on the rare occasion he has a lot of dry food he jumps down and he and he meows really loudly well six or seven times it's more like a bellow really you know and he's normal. He's everything he does everything a normal cat does. I just wonder why. What what breed of cat is he, Russell? He's mainly ragdoll. I don't think we got him as an RSPCA cat four years ago. He's ten years old now. Yeah. Um, and he's mainly ragdoll. He's a big cat. He's like over six kilos. Yeah. And he's sex male. Yeah. But I, I just wonder, you know, why he does that. Well, cats are really interesting with their vocalisation. I mean, primarily it is a communication tool for them. And so um, just as we might go out to dinner and then lean back and have a good chat with someone, I think your cat's probably doing the same thing. Now, I'm going to be generous and say he's thanking you. He's, he's really happy that uh, you've fed him and certainly given him that, that amount of food. Obviously, they we know that cats will come and demand food and they'll meow when they're hungry, so it's unlikely that he's hungry. But um, I've noticed even with my cat that, uh, you know, as time goes on, her behaviour changes and we're seeing she's much more talkative uh, in using her voice. And so I think it's really just part of communicating with you is about whether, you know, how, how your cat's feeling or... As I said, just happy to share meal time, that sort of thing. Um, unlikely to be any sort of pathology or disease thing. I think it's uh, we always think of cats as loners and so on, but really they're not. They're quite a social animal. It's just that they're usually in small groups. Um, and so in this case, you're part of the cat tribe uh, that your cat's saying, thanks for dinner, what's for supper? Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, he's always on your lap when you know when when you're doing nothing. But yeah. um, you know, I haven't mentioned it to the vet on his annual checkups or anything like that. And I, I just thought he might be in pain of some kind. 
unless he's doing it other times and it's just that, I think you, you're going to be in safe territory. I think he's just happy to be there. Thank you very much, Russell. It appears, uh, Dr. David, it is a cat day today because we have another cat, this time Gary on the Central Coast, uh, your cat with a skin allergy. What's going on, Gary? Uh, <clears throat> he's a, a rescue cat. Uh, I've only had him for a week, week tomorrow. Um, he's a Russian blue, a very big cat, weighs seven and a half kilos. Whoa. Um, but when he come in to care in the kennels, he had a very bad flea allergy and and no hair. He'd scratched all his hair out. Mm. Over that 18 months, they were treating him with uh, mainly a, just a, a good food basis. Um and, and bathing and stuff like that. And it's, his hair sort of come back reasonably well up until when I uh, picked him up. But when I got him home, I found that he's still scratching a lot. Yep. And when he scratches, he pulls the hair out in lumps. Okay. I just wonder if there's any treatment that I can sort of uh, help help him to get rid of his thrash. Yeah, we don't, we don't often get calls about cats with skin problems, certainly a lot more in dogs, but they do suffer the same sort of range of problems, but they show up quite differently. We also do see behavioural problems with cats where they'll overgroom and uh, they'll pull hair out. Um, the, the first, Your first instinct about fleas and so on I think is really important is that we just want to make sure we, no matter what else is going on, we don't want to have fleas there at all because they're so uh, irritating and they're so stimulating to the immune system. They'll cause problems. So a good quality yeah, on, flea control. Yep. He's on compass. Yep. Okay. So once we, we know that's taken care of and you make sure that's all up to date, that's good. If you've got other animals in the household, then we've got to make sure we treat everybody and also treat the environment. And then, yes. um, you know, consistently using the food, as you said, sometimes that can play a role, but it's a little bit more uh, difficult or complicated to really work out what's what. And, you know, is this food a problem or is it not? And then the other part, though, that I'm wondering, because of this cat's history, is uh, are we seeing a behavioural problem? Now, right. that can be a little bit difficult, again, to discern. But I would say, you know, in answering your question, what are some things we can do? In putting a cat into a new household, and this applies if your cat doesn't have problems, I yes. would say, or if you're moving house or anything like that, I always advise people is um, to use a product called Feliway, F-E-L-I-W-A-Y, and it's actually a spray. Um, you can get it from vets and some pet stores. It's a spray or it comes as a plug-in diffuser. I usually say get the spray. What it is, is I... it's a positive pheromone for cats. All right. Can I get um, the name again? So F-E-L? F-E-L-I-W-A-Y. I-W-A-Y. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it is is, you know when a cat comes up and they rub their cheek on you? and or Yeah. Yeah. So on the side of their face, they've got these glands that uh, release this pheromone that says, I'm happy, I'm comfortable, and so on. And what we've got in this bottle of Fellaway is they've actually been able to produce that pheromone. So you don't use a lot. It's like one spray in one room and one spray in the next room. Usually we tell people to spray it 
down at the doors at the cat level, like on, oh, yeah. on the um, architrave of the doors, so that when the cat walks in the room, they go, oh, this is, this is a very calming room. This is a nice room. And oh, then right. they'll feel a lot better. And I, I would always say that you use a product like that um, because I think it'll really help settle down a lot of these behavioural problems. That's probably going to be a big factor for this uh, skin problems. Um, but certainly be consistent with food, keep up with flea control, and I think you'll get things back on track pretty quickly. Thank you very much, Gary. Hope that helps a lot. The idea, David, of having a nice calming presence in the room. You know? Right. And, and did you know potpourri is toxic to cats? I do now. There you go. That's yeah. pet chat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we learn something we, every week. It makes us feel calm, but mm. it can be toxic to cats. Yeah, okay. We have Helen at Raymond Terrace. Helen, you don't want any dogs coming into your yard. What's the story? I've got neighbours on each side of me, and one's got two lap dogs, and the other one's got one. And they let the dogs out, and then and the dogs come straight into my yard and empty out my yard. Now, this is despite the fact that we've got a bushland only five metres from their homes, and I have spoken to both the neighbours, and they seem to think it's their God-given that their dog can go wherever. So I know that there's a lot of deterrence out there on the market, so what I'm looking for is something that will actually work before I start trying this, that, and the other, I thought uh, Dr. David there might know something that actually works to keep these dogs um, out of my yard. So you can spend some money, which yep. doesn't seem very fair, but um, <laughs> I mean, the first answer is a fence. Um, but in yeah, I'm in an area where the front yards are not fenced, so yes. that was my next step was to go and talk to council to see what I can actually put up. Yeah, sure. And that's a um, lot of money too, of course. I'm on a pension here, so... Well, the good thing about a fence is that your neighbours are up for half of it. Yeah. Um, so then, but it's prob- that's probably the most expensive option. You can get um, motion-activated sprinklers. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, probably going to set you back a bit in terms of cost. Yep. Um, now, the reason why we talking sprinklers is that oftentimes surprise water on a dog particularly if they think they're about to go to the toilet, will, you know, deter them pretty quickly. Um, so in the absence of uh, motion-activated uh, sprinklers... Or me standing on the veranda with um, one of those water guns. <laughs> well, that's actually what I was going to suggest. <laughs> that's, that's probably where you might end up, actually. Well, I mean, I've made myself quite visual. When when I know about the time that two of the dogs are going to be out, I make sure that I'm standing out the front and I say, you know, can you please not let them do that, please? You know, but, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, I know there's all sorts of pellets and things like that. and um, But, yeah, so something on the cheaper end. and, and A water, um, water gun is probably on the cheaper end. <laughs> the other thing is that... Um, that uh, you return the dog's droppings to their front doorstep. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's been done, yeah, every time. Oh, okay. <laughs> they haven't got that message either, that it's falling from the sky, yeah. <laughs> that's quite surprising, isn't it? Um, well, hopefully they're listening and get the message. It's not, not anybody's right to trespass and certainly not to, you know, to let their dog soil wherever they want and not clean it up is actually against council regulations. Yes, I understand um, that, yeah. So, you know, but I think a water gun is probably the next best thing. Good luck with that, Helen. And at least yeah. she's able to take it in a stride a little bit, David. I'm pleased, but, um, but you still. Know, 
It can push you. Do you remember, and I'm sure you do, I think it was, oh, I'm stretching my mind here, 80s, late 80s, maybe early 90s, where there was this fad, and I'm not sure where it started, mm. of putting uh, old soft drink bottles, filling, taking the labels off and filling them with water and sticking them on the front yard. That was supposed to deter all the neighbourhood dogs. I, I, that was a thing, yeah? Didn't work. It didn't work. Where no. Did, where would that have even came from? I like the fact that you mentioned you've got to take the labels off, and I don't know why. That was true. That was the that was that, part of it. Yeah, it's like, well, we don't want the dog to read <laughs> the label, but it did. No, it didn't. Some people swore by it, but yeah. it, I, it didn't work. I just can't imagine where these things come from. We might have to do a bit well, of research for next time. It's it's uh, it's just lucky that someone did it and it worked once. And they go, oh, that's oh, that, why it worked. Yeah, that's it. And so, not, there were probably some legitimate factors in there. Otherwise, yes, that's right. All right, probably our last one for today. Um, Mary at Bulladila. Uh, Mary, you've got a, a dog. What's going on there? Um, he's a cross King Charles Cavalier Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. And you're barking. He scratches all the time. I have um, a lady that comes, dog wash lady that comes, and... As soon as she asks him, he does the same thing. Um, how old is your dog, Mary? Look, I don't know. He was given to us, and when he was given to us, they said he, I took him to the vet, and uh, he said he was about seven-year-old then, and we've had him probably six years. Okay. And has this problem, does it come and go throughout the year? Has it just recently started, or has it been there for six years, or...? No, he's been doing it for quite a while now. Yes, okay. And it hasn't settled down at all over the last few months? It's much the same? No, much the same. Yeah, okay. So a lot of um, a lot of the time when we talk to people about their dogs scratching, we're, we're thinking about skin allergies. And just as we were saying before with Gary with his cat, we want to make sure we've got good flea control. Um, but then the next thing that... Um, we want to look at is skin allergies, which could be related to things like pollens, grass seeds, um, house dust mite, all of the things that we might expect a person could be allergic to. The same thing a dog can be allergic to as well. So when we get those circumstances, there's a couple of things that we can do to try and work out A, what it is, and B, then to treat it. And to work out what it is often requires either blood tests and or skin testing, usually done by a specialist dermatologist, a veterinary dermatologist. And then treatment-wise, the regular bathing is certainly useful, but um, maybe there's some shampoo combination that works better than others. That's a very personal thing, like as, you know, what works for your dog doesn't work for others. So sometimes that takes a little bit of experimentation. And what I've found, I remember with my dog, um, who did have skin problems similarly, you know, when they flare up, I used to say, I had someone come and bath her and I'd say, look, we need to change and use this, which was a um, an oatmeal uh, aloe vera shampoo because that's a bit more soothing. Other than that, we used to use things like antihistamine tablets. And in some cases where we identified um, of an allergy, we would actually get an allergy vaccine made up and these are very successful uh, so they they take a bit of work and again you have to speak to a veterinary dermatologist but they can reduce this problem dramatically and it's worth talking to your vet because obviously it's regular bathing doesn't 
really get control of it. Thank you very much, uh, Mary. Hopefully uh, that's some great advice for you there. And mostly cats, but a couple of dog ones at the end, David. Now, mm-hmm. just got a call a couple of moments ago when we were talking dog deterrence from your front yard. Apparently, dried coffee uh, sprinkled over the yard will do the trick. That's what we've been told. Just make sure the dogs don't eat it because yeah, it's coffee's toxic, toffee toxic. bad. Mm. Yeah, toxic to dogs. Yeah, and if they just, they probably will just but, take it. Def- deterring the dogs. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Point. Stay away. <laughs> All right, a great pet chat out of the way. Uh, Dave, Dr. David, I think you might be here next week, if not the week after. One of them. One of them. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.